welcome to Hot and Heavy. Your hosts are Donovan and Tiffany Reese. We're going to be covering a wide range of topics. Some of them are hot, some of them can get a little heavy. All of them we have opinions on. So go ahead, sit back, grab a bevy, and let's get into today's topic. Would you consider, like, are you my work wife? I'm hesitant to say yes, because I'm afraid that that's going to open the ship. The ship. <laughs> um, and I really don't want to do that, because... It's as platonic as it gets between the two of us. It really is. And it has been for the past four, four? Five? Years. Years, yeah. It has been that way from the moment we met. Well, the, the reason I bring that up is because you you saved my ass yesterday. I sure did. <laughs> uh, and I'd do it again. So, as some of y'all who've been listening to a couple of episodes know, I work as a bartender as like my side hustle. Yeah, you might my... also want to preface that you work at a, at a gay, gay bar. bar. And so, you know, I get I get hit on quite a bit. And my typical yeah, default you do. <laughs> my typical default messaging is like, oh, I don't really mix work and pleasure. I don't really give out my number at work or that kind of stuff. Which the following complaints about to give every girl listening to here is like, ugh, a, a man's finally understanding what we're going through. But someone was asking for my number, and I was like, oh, I don't really feel comfortable giving it out tonight you know you just gotta find me outside of work and then maybe we can chat which a couple things this guy the only conversation i have with him is i handed him two bottles of water didn't talk to him for like 30 minutes after i handed him the water and then that's for my snapchat and then or snapchat number or something and when i didn't give it out got an attitude with me all i can think about is bo burnham straight white man <laughs> Um, so that was the situation with this guy and it was just like, I mean, if you find me outside, then you can try to start up a conversation with me, but not when I'm like trying to like close up the bar and wrap up the night. And so the following day, me and Tiffany Reese are getting together, uh, you know, just catching up, talking a little bit about the show and, you know, sharing life stories. And so we're sitting in this Starbucks going over everything. In the wild. It, yes, just in, in the natural habitat. Because we go to Starbucks quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, the guy from last night that tried getting my Snapchat walks in and I happen to just also be wearing the same hat that I was wearing the night before. And I'm like, oh my god, it's him. Uh, it was uh, so fun to watch Donovan and go into like incognito mode of take the hat off, put the hood up, like tuck the hat as far away into his bag as possible and like pull the hood to like cover his face a little bit. And he's like, that's him. Tim. I looked so sketchy because I had my laptop out too. I looked like I was. You were like some huddled in the fraud. corner, like. <laughs> and so I, we were talking about this just before. I think you mm -hmm. were telling me about your night and like whatever. And then yeah. he walked in. Literally, maybe like 15, 20 minutes after I told you the story of like, oh yeah, I ran into this guy that I didn't get my number out to. Yeah, and so like I think I either before he walked in or after he walked in, I was like, am I gonna have to honey you if we see him? <laughs> and you were like, B -b please. <laughs> And yeah. so the guy, well, I'll let you finish yours. I'll say, yeah, he just sat like two tables down from us. And when we say two tables, it's like... If you've been in the Starbucks, it's not like yeah, like six there's, feet away. It's, it's like four feet away. <laughs> it might as well have been the table next to us. And if he turned over and just gave me a good look in the face, he would have been like, oh, you were the bartender last night. Yeah. So of course, me being a homie as I am, made sure that I had my hand that has my partner's ring on it, like up on my cheek so he could see it. And I'm like leaning across the bar or the like the table. table. And I was like, oh, you know, we can always like head home and finish the meeting there. Like, you know, we could just like head out, like trying very hard to be like, please don't come over here. He's clearly with someone. Yeah. So thank you for, sa for saving my ass. Of course. I know you would have done the same thing. Yeah. See, that's the thing about 
I will say that I am very grateful for of our friendship is I always know I have a fighter out here. You know what I mean? Like there's been moments where like a guy. Even if you're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) You'll, you'll defend me and then afterwards be like, girl. Yeah, exactly. That's how it should be. Yes. Um, but there's been times where like guys have been creepy to me, like when I'm out and about and you've been like, who, where, who, hmm, hmm, who was it? Who? I just want to talk. And then there's been times where like when we were out at that club Mm -hmm. and that y'all got to go you all went squad deep on this guy so basically yeah we're gonna do it okay so basically we were at weirdly the same gay bar (laughs) yeah we were at the same bar when we were in college and it was like a whole group of us um had gone out together because we all worked together and we were all friends and so it was donovan and i Mm -hmm. like two or three three of our coworkers. yeah who were also all girls and then my partner Mm -hmm. and we all went out we're just having a good time whatever and as we've mentioned, Donovan is of mixed race. Mm-hmm. And we were all having a good time, hanging out, listening to music, having a couple drinks, grinding on each other. It's semantics, you know, the details, details. <laughs> and um, this white man decides to, older, older white, white guy, man. decides to walk up to Donovan. And if say, he first greets all of y'all and is kind yeah. of chill. He was all right, but I'm sorry, you're an older guy coming up to a group of like college girls who are like out, hanging out. Mm-hmm. Mm, please go away. Yeah, please yeah, and yeah. thank you. As he was greeting you, like, yes, there was that so off-putting, but it, there wasn't anything, like, no red flag necessarily went off yet. Right. Like, he didn't say or do anything that was obviously... Abrasively creepy. Right. Yes. It was more of just the fact that group of young women, older guy... Two guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He came up to us and whatever. Yeah. So all of us kind of were just like, <laughs> and, like, kind of kept doing what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Well, then he turns to Donovan. Yeah. And he thinks that it is okay for him to say what's up my n-word and mind you as i said we've all been drinking dancing having a good time i overheard it all of us did and like i whipped around so fast and i was like what did you just say to him like full jersey came out i was ready to throw hands with this man and he was like oh like it's not a big deal and like you were still like in a little bit of like i literally shocked <laughs> like i just remember the look he dapped me face. up and i'm just still in that dap me up froze of just like did, did this just... man really just have the balls to say that to me? Yeah. And I remember like, oh, I have never felt rage like that before in my life. That this man like really thought that it was okay for him to come up to some stranger he has no clue and like say that. Mm-hmm. As, like as, and he, he just, oh, I remember him like just being like, oh, like what's the big deal? You know, like, blah, blah, like trying to play it all. Oh, I would I would have gone to jail that night. And I appreciate y'all be, being, you know, my voice in that situation which weirdly ties into today's episode yeah oh did you meet plan to do that yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm just that creatively genius you know would it have been my responsibility or like should i have you know stood up for myself or you know this guy disrespecting me based on the cleavage of race right Um, also the assumption of your race might i add yeah I will say I yes I'm mixed and I look mixed. Boy, am I amb- ambiguous! Like, but that's what I mean. Like, I can. Cu- I, some people just thought I am a really good at the tanning bed. <laughs> I've gotten Egyptian. I've gotten South African. I have gotten Puerto Rican, Ethiopian. But that's Greece, my point. Is like you Hawaiian. It was the fact Indonesian. that he he made the assumption that he's not white, black. Yeah. Like that's what he thought. Like listen no slur would have been good but like he made the assumption that that's what you were that you were black and he was like mm, okay yeah let me go ahead and just 
throw this down. Let me test the water here. And yeah. boy, it was bo- boiling hot. There were sharks <laughs> in the water, and uh, it was me. And you know what even made that situation weird is I really do think of that as, like, one of my early defining moments of, like, how do I go about my day-to-day life interacting with awkward situations about my race yeah fight flight or freeze exactly and in that moment i froze and i think as i've matured a little bit more into being comfortable of being an advocate of my own race or my own identity it's a little bit a little bit more on the fight side now i'm 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 ready to stir some shit up i'm ready to stir some shit up too today yeah because i i get the feeling we're gonna pop off we're gonna piss off at least a couple people and i'm okay with that You, you gotta you gotta piss a couple people off to you know make some noise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that in situations like that, it is so much easier. I will say like at that point in my life, like back to what you're saying, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. it was so much easier for me to defend others than it was for me to defend myself. You know, like if it like if the roles had been reversed of some creep came up to me and made a comment to me, I probably also would have froze or I probably would have done something like, what did you say? Mm-hmm. Like one of those. And I know that you, my partner, like our friends probably would have stepped in and been like, what the fuck did you just say to her? One of y'all have been posting my bail that night. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like as I've gotten more comfortable in myself, in my healing, in like evolving as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's much easier for me to now do that for myself the same way I would do it for someone else. So now I, I, I guess maybe shift gears to set the groundwork here for this pretty intense conversation we're going to be having today. Today's a little bit... Today's on the heavier side of Today's a little heavy. And I think it would be fair for us to do just like the tiniest bit of a disclaimer, mm-hmm. borderline trigger warning, um, just to be fair. Oh, yeah, that's, that would be good. Yeah. Um, just to be fair to anybody who's listening, um, as much as we appreciate your support, we do want you to be mindful of yourself, take care of yourself. If you just want to like skip over this episode... Because we will be talking about, here's where the triggers come in, um, a little bit to do, like we said, with race. We're going to be talking about, you know, sexuality. Talking um, about police violence, brutality, sexual assault. Those kinds of things. Um, so please just take care of yourself. We appreciate the support, but we appreciate you taking care of your own comfortability more. Mm-hmm. I think with that... Let's get into today's topic. Let's talk about it. So the way that you brought this topic up, do you want to give the audience a little context of where you got the idea for this question yeah because okay so like we said should we, we were... just say the question too yeah, cool. yeah yeah is should people who are in situations of trauma or situations of being the oppressed or being the minority also be placed with the responsibility of being the, the, the champion voice. the voice the advocate and it's a it's a little bit of a complicated i think it's discussion. a very tricky question yes So basically, like we said, we were having a little work coffee meeting the other day. And after we finish our business meetings, we normally wind down with just like, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's going on. And, you know, whatever. Chit chat. This is a show I've watched recently. Hey, you should check out this podcast. Whatever. And I'm not going to say the podcast because I truly, truly love it. And I, long story short, this woman has different people on her podcast and they talk about different issues all across the board Mm -hmm. um she talked she's talked to celebrities um she's talked to like advocates advocates doctors like she talks to every yeah yeah, she talks to like everybody about all these different things and she had somebody on who was a former prostitute i will say and she was talking about her self-proclaimed right yes i will say that because she was like using the term sex worker when applicable but this person in particular identified like this is 
her thing was that she said there's a difference between being a sex worker and a prostitute because typically sex workers are like choosing to be in that industry. Um, like when you think about cam girls, strippers, like that kind of thing. Whereas for her being a prostitute, it was like a means of survival of that was the only way she could make money. And then she was having difficulty exiting the sex work industry. So yes, I prefer to use sex worker, but I do see where her different definition comes from. So that was her self-proclaimed title mm. of being a prostitute. And she was talking about that she faced a lot of abuse and trauma while in that industry, mm -hmm. physical, emotional, and sexual. Mm -hmm. And at the throughout the entirety of the interview, she very heavily was pushing the organization that she now works for trying to end not sex work, but prostitution mm -hmm. and things like brothels and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of the podcast, she made a comment about how it is also worth noting that she is a trans Latina woman. And she was mentioning her organization of once you've healed from your trauma, it is then your responsibility or duty. I forget how exactly she phrased it. But it is your responsibility that once you have once you have healed from the trauma that you've endured, it is your job to then politicize it and or use it to prevent it from happening to other women or other individuals. Mm -hmm. And she was specifically talking about the trauma she faced sexually, the discrimination she faced being a trans woman in that industry. And I mentioned this to you because I was saying like her comment really bothered me or maybe it was just the way that she had phrased it of saying it's your responsibility mm -hmm. or it's your duty because i feel like as a survivor of anything whatever it may be your only responsibility is to yourself of if all you do with your life is heal congratulations you've done your job whatever you do after that is your choice it is not your responsibility and that's where this question kind of came up that you and I were kind of discussing it and we were like, oh, maybe we should put a pin in this. Take a sip, take a shot, because we said pin. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back to episode two. Yeah. <laughs> um, eventually we'll put like on our uh, Instagram, like a list Just of the, like- the drinking game? Yeah, a list of like all the rules for the drinking game, which if you don't follow us on Instagram, our Instagram is hot and heavy, like fully written out dot podcast. So go ahead, give us a follow, check us out. I feel like that is a, just a perfect example of what this podcast is. We will go from weird conversation to serious conversation to being mindful of our audience to drinking. <laughs> mm -hmm. To social media, please. And then back into heavy. Anyways, we were like, let's put a pin in this yeah. and like talk about this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And you actually brought up another example like of the same, same thing, different font. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like, okay, yeah, well, what about in a situation like this? Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to toss it over to you. Yeah, so my exposure to that question came up through the lens of race. Mm -hmm. And there, there was a really popular conversation shortly after the George Floyd incident, uh, when Black Lives Matter got a real public boost of media attention. You know, you had a lot more people across the nation, I believe it was globally at that point, of uh, people advocating against police brutality and racial um, injustice. And one of the conversations that came around some of these questions that were now popping up in the response to 
this, you know, racial injustice awakening was that what role does the family play in advocating against police brutality? The family of the The victims. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify. And then you also have situations like Jacob Blake, who I believe survived the, the, the incident and he had to go through a police shooting and he actually you know, survived. In the back, know, right? Yes, shot in the back in, in front of his family. And then you had some conversations like, all right, what role does he as the individual who is still alive from an intense moment of police brutality? Because in a lot of cases, the actual individual isn't able to tell their story after the fact. What role do they play in advocating against this because these are people that have the lived experience of going through that and that can testify on this is how traumatic that is onto my life uh, and to my family story and if we can do something to prevent that from happening to other families we want to do that and i think it's a really difficult question to ask when you take into two real dimensions of thought there the first one being that personal scope of Mm -hmm. this is a traumatic experience this is a human experience of we are going through this difficult traumatic challenging time how why and how and dare how dare you assume that i am in the space to articulate and argue and fight and put strain on my body and my mental health to stop an issue that shouldn't even been an issue in the first place Mm -hmm. the other realm of thought is you know as as unfortunate as that situation is you do have the ability now to just this sh- horrible thing happened to, to me. me. I want to make share sure it you, share yeah. it with you how difficult this th- situation is, and uh, try think, to prevent it from happening to someone else. I think a really good example of like hearing that dichotomy conversation uh, was a couple of months ago. Was the uh, the court the court case hearings with the Alex Jones and the Sandy Hook situation of mm. uh, the families actually able to directly talk to Jones and say this is what your misinformation your lies have done to this community so fuck you which i'll use as a plug fuck alex jones (laughs) yeah if you're listening to this podcast i don't know if you're listening to both podcasts you are a very interesting human being so how how do you wrestle with that that difficult conversation and i think even like a meta conversation outside of this is who is if at all a voice to determine which one is quote-unquote right like there are some conversations of like, all right, this needs to be a conversation, you know, when it comes to racial injustice against black people, it probably should be a black person conversation uh, or should be, a, you know, people are asking, should it be a societal communication? Should it be a quote unquote American conversation? Yeah, it does get a little muddy when it gets to the, the topic of, okay, who's if it is somebody's job, yeah, whose job is it? Mm-hmm. Because then we even started talking about, it, I was like, well, then it begs the question of like, I am a woman. You are a man. Mm -hmm. Is it your job to care about body autonomy and women's rights when it does not directly affect you? Mm -hmm. And I say directly because you do have women in your life who you care about and, you know, but you not identifying as a woman, women's rights and the argue of like Roe v. Wade and, you know, access to quote unquote women's Women's issues, issues, like the pink tax and like things of that nature, they don't affect your life. Right. I don't, the pink tax does not directly affect my day-to-day purchasing. No, but you have a partner who it does. You know what? I'm glad you mentioned that. I've always hated that rebuttal Mm. when it comes to talking about like if men should be involved in quote-unquote women's issues is you have a mother, you you have have a a sister, you have a daughter, you have a 
a, a wife or something. How about... Just care because it's a human. Yeah. But that's the... I will that's say... That's the emotional appeal. Right. That's the pathos. Yes. But you also have to remember that people... We are innately selfish beings. We care about ourselves. And I think that's partially like a survival thing. Like I'm going to get a little, you know, a little... Theoretical here? Yeah, uh, I guess. Of like, you know, it's in our bio... Like it's in our biological makeup to want to survive. Mm -hmm. And so I can understand the selfishness of like, well, if that's not affecting me and my survival, why would I care? All right, it's affecting the people in my tribe. Right. It's affecting my pack. Mm -hmm. But also like, it shouldn't take you... It shouldn't take it affecting you in some regard for you to care. How about just care because we're all stuck on this rock floating through space and our options are to either, you know, be nice and care about each other and try to make the world a semi-tolerable place or fuck everybody and just slaughter each other, which is the path we're historically going down. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm fucking sick of that. So. So yeah, I I guess... We opened up a lot of... A lot of eggs there, so... Eggs. Mm, what? I don't know. I don't know why I said we, eggs. We, we, you, had made, you had said something. We started burning a lot of oils. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's, let's go put, behind Let's put it. some candles out. Yeah. So... Maybe that should be a part of the drinking game. Do Take a sip or a shot every time we use a random, unnecessary... Analogy. Like, yeah. <laughs> when we could have just said, we started talking about a lot of stuff, let's circle back. Yes. So I'll, I'll, I think for the sake of simplicity to help mm. articulate our points, we'll stay in the fields of sexual assault and police brutality. Yeah. Because um, I think those are really, I don't say popular because that sounds awful, but those are very prevalent, w- prevalent thank you, mm. issues that these conversations happen within. Especially with the Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement. Exactly. I, w- I want to speak again personally because this is a very nuanced, complex issue. Yeah, and so everything we're saying is based off of our personal thoughts and opinions yes. and experiences. If there is something that is not our thought or opinion, we will we will throw a, a citation. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Okay. An example I like using that's a little bit... The middle of like, it is your responsibility to heal and to speak up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'll use a weirdly a slightly lighthearted topic to Sure, I think this, we could use that. Is, you know, microaggressions in the academic space. Okay. Um, if you're not familiar with a microaggression, it's just those... Some people call it like diet racism or... What a fun and quirky name for that. <laughs> Where it's like, oh my god, you speak so like well educated for a black person, or I feel like that's a little bit more on the aggressive side than the microaggression, or like I didn't expect you to be so articulate. Yes, or wow, you don't really act as much as a bitch as all your other girlfriends. So like, yes, those those are microaggressions. It's not directly like take rip out your uterus. It's more of just those passing comments. You're like, that was weird. I thought you were such a bitch the first time I met you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, in the context of this conversation, it, it was microaggressions. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, again, I'll speak on racial microaggressions just because I have a little bit more familiarity with experiencing those. Which convers- I'm, I'm sorry about that. This is America. It was at what point someone someone asked me, you know, why don't you like speak up to, you know, maybe they're doing it because they don't know better or that, you know. They've lived in an environment where they haven't been surrounded by other people of different ethnic backgrounds. So if you said something, maybe that would, like, quote unquote, wake them up and they'd be a little bit more mindful of it in the future. And I thought of that and I was like, you know what, that's a pretty valid point. 
a lot of these people probably didn't grow up around more diverse communities. And maybe they, if they just had that exposure, they would realize like, oh, that actually is a really offensive thing to say. Maybe I'll work on fixing, or not maybe, I'll work on fixing that. But even as something as simple as you know trying to fix a microaggression, over time that could become a very exhausting thing. The last time I checked, the only contracts I signed that I work for is my current administrative assistant job, the bar that I work at, and this podcast. I don't think I signed up to be a, some everyone's personal black educator. <laughs> you're not the spokesperson for what is and isn't racist. Exactly. I am, yeah, you're, I'm not your go-to encyclopedia to just be like, oh, that is racist. You know what? That's fine. Ooh, maybe let's tweak that word a little bit. Oh, you definitely can't say the N-word. And I, I Put will... your white hood down. I have a question for you. Yeah. Okay. We're close, right? I mean, we're only like three feet away from each other right now, but... As friends. <laughs> yes. As humans. We are close. We have a good relationship. Yes, yes, yes. I often come to you and I'm like, hey, I'm in this situation. Tell me straight up, was I wrong or was I justified? Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. I am a white woman. Yes. Would it be okay for me to come to you and say, hey, I don't know if this is okay? Yeah. Why? Why is it? So you're my friend. I feel comfortable. And we have a lot of spaces of having, you know, academic, thoughtful, philosophical conversations. You asking me that would not be out of the norm for our relationship. And I think that's also part of the answer to that line is what is the comfortability of that relationship? I feel a lot more willing to have that conversation of like, you know what, this actually is a little bit insensitive and this is why. Because we have a relationship that's built on mutual trust and respect. Yes. It'd be really, really weird if... The guy in the club. Yeah, the guy in the club or even just some stranger that I was sitting next to in my class was like, hey, uh... I've noticed you're black. Can I ask you something? Yeah, am I allowed to say the N-word? I'm like 116th black. Like, is that cool? My black friend said it's okay. Uh, yeah, I got the pass. Uh, I was like, well, first off... You might have got the pass with him. Yeah, you don't got the pass from me, my friend. But th- yeah, th- that's another component to think about in the conversation is was the relationship of the people that you are working to educating? And I think that question gets amplified on such a larger scale when you're thinking about, you know, the George Floyd situation or like police brutality as a whole. How can you expect this family that has lived in this community in either the small town or just, I'll even like expand it just to the state. Yeah. To then now become a voice nationally, globally. When they're still trying to heal from the trauma and the loss of this horrible situation. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine trying to be the, the voice of a movement at this point in my time, if I just experience intense police brutality right now. Yeah, I was gonna say, I can't imagine doing anything other than just like waking up and surviving the day Mm -hmm. if you have to live through something that horrific, whether it be you yourself living through it, just like the one individual we were talking Mm -hmm. about, or being the family member, friend, loved one, I'll broaden it to be, of having lost somebody to this. And now people are expecting you to pick up a microphone when you can barely even pick yourself up out of bed. Mm-hmm. I, weirdly enough, as we were thinking about this, you know, I, I'm not comparing my experience to any of the these larger nationally known experiences by any means. But I'm just. But you do of, have your own experience. I have a, a, a minor experience, and I'm just gonna. The point I'm making with that is like I couldn't even imagine my minor experience. Like after my minor experience, you're trying to speak up to prevent that from happening. <laughs> so I'll give some context here. 
Uh, I was going to say, do you mind sharing? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Back in 2020, you know, I just got my my first, like, real legitimate car that actually can drive more than 100 miles at a time without worrying that it's going to pull over the side of the road. So I had this new car, getting used to all the, the lights and, you know, bells and whistles of it. And all the coworkers asked, like, hey, we're all going to go out to this one bar. Do you want to come join us? And I was like, sure, sure, sure. And it was, like, my first time really interacting with some coworkers, uh, especially, you know, at the height of the, not the height of the pandemic, but when the pandemic was going. and When the world the, was still trying to find its footing. Exactly, exactly. So we all went out, and again, these besides my family, these were the only people I was seeing at all because, A, I had to pay some bills, so I needed to keep working. COVID of, you kind of, you go to work, you come home. And exactly. Like, that's all you really do. That's all you can do. Exactly. So I was hanging out with these coworkers. We're having a, a grand old time. I'm very serious when it comes to drinking and driving. That's like one thing that my dad instilled in me so, so heavy. It's like, if you are going to go out, don't drink and drive. And so I think we were out for like, maybe like four or five hours. And I think I had like one beer at the beginning of the night. Uh, so I was like... I'm cutting it there. I might have some like water or Red Bull to keep me awake or something. But you know your limits. Exactly, exactly. And I knew we were going to be out for a while. So. That's part of being an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, taking some responsibility for your actions. And being stuff. mindful of, I know when I should start to cut myself off and sober up. Exactly. So mind you for the story, I had one drink. Mm. So doing that, having a good time. And then it comes time to the end of the night. I'm like, all right, time for all of us to head home, head into my car. And at this point, it's only me, two co-workers, and both of their partners. And uh, one of the girls was real, real fucked up. She did not know her limits. Yeah, she went a little bit beyond her limits. And so, you know, we all just made the decision, like, all right, you're definitely not, because she drove herself there, like, you're not driving yourself home. Uh, We made a plan to, you know, all right, I'll drive, one of the partners would drive, and there's going to be two people in every car. And I was just going to follow one car, just because I had, the person in my car was going the same place as the other two. But we were just having some accountability with each other, driving with each other, make sure we can get home safe. So as we're driving, uh, I might have been going maybe five miles over the speed limit. It was like a 30, it was like a 25 miles zone. I might have been going 30. But I was, again, just following the kind of key pace with this guy. And it's a two-lane road. Uh, he switched into the right-hand lane. I had my blinker on, went to the left-hand lane. And I left it on for about an extra block after I made the turn. And again, I'm still getting used to my car. I mean, I know that's like a very basic feature. And I sound like a, oh, you're stupid. You, you no. should always turn your blinker off. But I, mean, I just also, wasn't thinking. Like, there's some cars that like, they're very sensitive. Like it'll turn off on its own, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And so if your previous car used to turn off on its own, I, I'm not surprised that you might've forgotten to turn off your blinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. How many times have people been driving and you just leave your blinker on for several miles along the highway? Anyway. And I'm like, okay, that person's making a ride around the world, I suppose, but whatever. And then so he pulls into uh, a 7-Eleven parking lot. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe she threw up in the car or like he needs, needs to, to stop. go to the bathroom or something. Yeah. So I pull into a spot right next to him and get out. Uh, we both get out. We're kind of like in our passenger seat or driver seats standing like halfway out of the car. And I was like, is everything good? And he's like, oh, yeah, I just need to pick up some cigarettes and then we'll head over. And it's like, cool, cool, cool. No problem. Before I even have the time to process that conversation of like, oh, he's fine. I'll go ahead and sit back in the car and chat with my friend that's sitting in the dri- uh, passenger seat. All I hear behind me yelling is, get the fuck back in your car. Uh, and I turn around and I'm not pinned in because he does not like have my car press, but like he has me trapped in this parking spot. It was the, the not state police, Jesus, the county police. Mm. Uh, or it's no city police, city police, sorry. Uh, city police have me pinned in this parking spot. And I turn around and I was like, oh, snap. So I very quickly get in my car, turn on my Carlton voice <laughs> to be polite, full, respectful to this police officer. 
because just like I'm sure a lot of minorities of experience, you've had that conversation with your parents of how to talk to a police officer uh, so that you don't end up, you know, on the news next. So he comes over, he's chatting with me, and the reason he pulled me over, his he had two, sorry, three reasons for pulling me over. Okay. First, I was leaving a bar. Fair. Understandable. I was sorry, I was leaving a bar and I left my turn signal on for an extended period of time. Pro- okay. so probably suspected drunk driving. And, okay. the th- and the third reason was, like I said, I might have been going five miles over. And so all this led all to him. valid. Yes, suspected drunk driving. Not valid approach, though. No, not valid approach. So he comes over, asks to see my ID, registration, typical run-of-the-mill stuff. And once I explained to him, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing. Uh, actually, you can actually see the girl in the other car. She's not feeling too hot. We're all driving her back home. So we're just making sure everyone gets home safe. Uh, he does a little eye test on me, all that stuff. Once he told me to get in my car, the interaction was relatively normal. What threw me off was how he chose to handle it before getting to me. I'm assuming he called for backup or what. For a situation of maybe suspected drunk driving, I don't know what typical police procedure is. So if you know, feel free to share it with us on our Instagram. Uh, so I have a little bit more your experience with it. But by the time this whole interaction was over, there were four cop cars, all with one or two officers in each car surrounding my vehicle. That is extreme overkill. I'm and not I've... robbing the 7-Eleven I'm at. <laughs> well, okay. So I don't know much about like drunk driving calls mm-hmm. procedures, but I have mentioned previously, I work at a probation office. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you right now, we have people that are you know, sometimes they'll come in and they're being arrested because they violated their parole or whatever. Mm -hmm. I have never seen them send more than two police. I'll say, I think usually when you, you know, and I drive around town, I also work at a bar. So when I'm leaving late at night, occasionally you'll see a cop car too, dealing with probably suspected drunk driving. I have never seen more than two police officers, which makes sense for backup. Right. But calling, having four cars with that, what, that's like, eight cops yeah there was i think there was like six or eight cops somewhere around there you do not need that many people for one drunk driver because we've been drunk before we can admit that Mm -hmm. i don't know how much of a fight i would put up i'm gonna be real honest and you know i'm gonna i'll give police i don't want to say give the benefit of the doubt because i'm very a cap but try to give a little bit i'll give a little credit here of like all right i'm a a six foot guy i'm by no means jacked but I'm, i'm a six foot at this point in my life, relatively in shape man. I get it. You might want back up if you think I'm going to be an aggressive drunk driver. But how much of that from your build could he have gathered late at night driving behind you? Like, And the only thing you said to me is get the fuck back in your car. Right. Like how much of that could you really have gathered from like a second of like being able to see you mm-hmm. that you felt so threatened that you're like, I send everybody, send the SWAT. National Guard, where you at? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, didn't give, uh, didn't give me a ticket. You know, everything was all said and done. He went ahead and backed out so that I could back out. And this interaction maybe took 10 minutes. What made it the scariest, though, was this whole situation happened. I don't remember an exact timeline, but it was shortly after, maybe it was like a month or two after George Floyd. And I am fucking terrified of... I don't blame you. Like, oh, oh my God, if I say or do the wrong thing, I'm about to be... If I on sneeze. The, on the news. And what made it even scarier was my... You know, at this point in time, I was still living with my family. They were on vacation. Or not vacation, they were out of town. I was like, oh my God, if this happened to me, I wouldn't even be near my family if it happened. I forget where they were. It wasn't that far, but like, again, they just weren't... Like, they weren't home when I got home. It's like, Jesus Christ, it was terrifying. And again, I'm not equating that experience to, you know, a Trayvon Martin or um, a but George Floyd. But it could have been. Scary. Yes. It could have been. If you were with... If the- and again, I was... This is my new... This, is, this was my first driving police interaction 
And I don't say that to be like, I don't say that to scare you of like, it could have been, but like if that cop was just a little more corrupt, I don't know him as a person. He mm. might be like, you know, textbook perfect as a police officer and you know, a true, true angel upholding the law. textbook perfect. But my point is, <laughs> yeah. is like in situations like that, it has been seen that the cops were in the wrong, mm. mostly in the wrong. Like I'm trying to be very- Respectful. Respectful and careful of what I say and how I say it. If, if just one tiny thing in that situation have been just a little different if the tone of my, if the tone in my voice was different that could have been a different interaction if it was a different top if it was a different cop if it was a different day of the week like if it was in a different state like if i even remember like when we were driving away weirdly enough the person that was in my car with me was actually in the middle of dealing with like their sanctions on because they they did have a drunk driving incident and they were just telling me wow that was a lot different than mine and you handled that like beautifully and i was like unfortunately i had to be trained to and so the, the only reason I bring up that whole experience is, you know, a minor experience where there ultimately were no major consequences besides just experiencing a scary event. And everybody got to go home safe. Yes. I, that was like, what, almost three years ago, two and mm-hmm. a half years ago. I am probably now just getting comfortable with like, actually sharing that story and like being a voice of like, well, we might need to reconsider how, <laughs> what kind of response needs to occur in a situation where it seems like consequences are pretty minor in the police interaction. Again, I'm, I'm biased. I was the person driving the vehicle. I knew what my situation were. Of course, the police officer pulled me over and didn't know what was going on. But they're and I also trained want to make, to make like... it a note too, is that because someone asked me this when I told this story. No, the police officer didn't have, like lights weren't turned on. I didn't even know the police officer was behind me until he yelled at me. Well, that's what I was going <laughs> to ask is like that aggression shouldn't have happened unless like he pulled into the seven loan behind you because you weren't pulling over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no uh didn't even know he was behind me that was my other question is like if he had these three reasons why he was suspecting drunk driving why did it take until you like i don't know how far this drive was but why did it take until the 7-eleven for him to wait for you to park to pull in behind you silently mm-hmm. and then shout at you what's it called i don't know when he started following me but from the distance of but getting it to must the have bar, been at least from the bar because he said he saw you leave the bar yeah so i was gonna say from the distance from the bar to the 7-eleven was maybe maybe five blocks uh, and i made the turn about two block two and a half blocks away from the uh the gas station so like i said i only have my turn signal on an extra like block or two a little bit longer but it's in the past i'm safe friends are safe everyone got home pretty little bow tie on all that even living that experience i don't know if i could be on some committee to be like all right this is how we need to fix police brutality because a i didn't experience police brutality experience police aggression police harassment police harassment yeah i couldn't imagine you know any family that's had to deal with an actual hospitalization or death because of police overaction or lack of responsibility to then be on a national stage and be the quote-unquote symbol do you realize how much stress and pressure and mental drain it would be to think of yourself as the oh my face God, of a movement i'm no longer you know tobias james i am now the face of the blm movement for the year of 2022 or something i also just pulled those name that name random i was just trying to think i was about to say john smith but i was also like oh, i don't know I, I can't think of a black john smith i'm sure they're i'm sure i'm sure you're listening i just couldn't think of you my friend there's somebody listening like hey <laughs> What fascinates me about this topic more is like I can speak to the complexity and the nuances of this a lot better, you know, from a racial standpoint, again, for experiencing that and thinking it through that lens. I have also been the pleasure of at least working in an environment with uh, people that have suffered from sexual assault that then have to, at the very least, and again, in the institution that I worked at, had to at least be an advocate for themselves. 
that is draining. I had to do this one exercise with uh, one of the faculty or staff members that like facilitates this whole thing. Again, I'm speaking on my history and working with people and educating on like sexual health, sexual assault kind of stuff. And the exercise that she had us do was, you know, you sit down, think of a positive sexual experience that you had. It could have been sex, it could have just been a date, just something positive. All right. Think about where you were. Think about if you had food before. Think about the weather. Think about, you know, all these just little details. Awesome. Now, you might not remembered every detail. You might have had to think a little bit harder and longer about these positive details. Now, imagine doing that with a negative sexual experience. Having to relive every excruciating detail and then having to share that with one, two, three, four, five, six, and so forth and so on people just to get the case on file. Or sorry, First tell someone, then get the case on file, then tell someone who could be like a legal or scholarly advocate for you, then telling another group, and then maybe you want to go to a, a like a counseling session, and then telling your counselor this, like, how would you have any energy afterwards to then maybe go to a rally and, you know, speak up to try to fight against this? For those that do it, awesome, and I'm, I'm glad you're in that space to be the voice, but I've heard someone make an argument of like, well, What's it like? I think the statistic is like one in three women have experienced sexual assault to one degree or another, or sexual harassment. Then why aren't we seeing one third of people at these marches? Well, maybe not all of them are ready for to to be the voice or want to be, or they just want to put it behind. I will say, so Donovan and I have briefly mentioned that we met in college mm-hmm. and we worked together in college. Yes. And our main role. Our job, which we really met through, was we were professional staff for our health center on campus to organize different events, programs, educational things that regarded to sexual health, whether that be, you know, this is what an STD is and how to prevent it, or this is what to do if you're experiencing, like Donovan briefly mentioned, sexual um, trauma of some degree. We also talked about mental health, physical health. Drugs and alcohol. Yeah. The whole, the whole gambit of the The podcast health. is suddenly making sense, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> We're not just speaking out of our ass. We've had conversations, like in-depth conversations about all of these for mm-hmm. years now. Trainings and educations on it. Um, uh-huh. And through this job, Donovan mostly focused on the substance and alcohol aspect of it. And I found my passion in the sexual health aspect of it. Um, and I I was at the front of a lot of these events. Like Take Back the Night was my big, big event. Donovan remembers me mm-hmm. being crazy during like the months leading up to take back the uh take back the night um which was my big baby for like the year you want to say what that is real briefly for those that don't yeah know? so take back of the night is a nationally recognized event i'll say where it is basically like in our situation we would walk on the campus at nighttime we would walk walk around it and it was meant to be raise awareness slash empowerment for, for sexual assault survivors yes. um and it was meant to be taking back the night of feeling safe mm-hmm. and things like that um and something that i had added to it was at the end of it i would have the path of walking would finish up by like bonfires basically mm-hmm. and it was just a safe space for people to share their story if they wanted to and just be in community of whether you were a survivor or just somebody speaking up and standing out for this is something that you know i think um really needs recognition and we really need to you know make a stand against mm-hmm. just to be there as an ally for survivors because i think a lot of people that also experience this you know, tragedy also feel the sense of isolation. That it's no very one else. isolating. There's a lot of shame around it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of sex as we've like sex is a private thing Mm -hmm. you know it's a very intimate vulnerable thing almost borderline taboo sometimes to talk about especially the in a positive setting yes and there's a lot of uncomfortability around sex even as in a positive setting talking about yeah yeah, talking about trauma there's so many i have i can't tell you how many times i've heard the argument of well why didn't they just walk away why did they say no why didn't they say no why didn't they shout why didn't they why'd they wait so long to say something you hear that one a lot you hear that one a lot And I will say, like, I think the best decision that I ever made for that event was, like I said, it would end at a bonfire. And some people just need to get their story out, but they aren't ready to share it, you know, because it is something that I can speak from my own personal experiences of I have experienced sexual trauma in one way or another. And we're going to leave it at that. And I think that's partially why I am so passionate about this. And like you said, one in three women have experienced it in some way, shape, or form. So I doubt nobody's going to be surprised if I say that I have experienced it as well. Mm-hmm. And I remember there were years when you would have the event and people would sit around the bonfire and say, this is my experience. This is what happened. But then something that you and I had talked about and started doing was anonymous submissions, mm-hmm. where we gave the option of we had paper and pen and you could write, I used to kind of preface it as write something that you need to let go of, write something that you need to just get off your chest. And you would have people writing all across the board of so many different things of, you know, I, their survival story, or, you know, something of losing a loved one, or just something that they have been holding on to that they just needed to let go. And people would then burn it. And that seemed to be so much more empowering for people than shoving a microphone in their face and saying, well, what was your experience? Because there's already so much, it's such a mental and physical toll to survive any form of trauma. I mean, there have been studies that show like your body physically goes into survival mode after you experience trauma. And yeah, I mean, it could be something as simple as, you know, I'll speak from my own personal experiences. We're going to get a little vulnerable. We're going to get a little vulnerable. For me, you were talking about how, like, think of, like, what you were wearing, what the weather was like, you know, this, that, the other thing. For me, it's the moon. If I see a certain phase of the moon, my entire day will change. Like, just right off the bat. I could be having the best day ever, and if I look up at the moon and it just looks a little too similar to a certain event, I'm done. I'm down for the count. And imagine having that, something as simple as smelling a certain scent. Or something as simple as the sky looking a certain way and being brought back to something so traumatic and then having people ask you, well, why didn't you say anything? Well, why didn't you, you know, report them? Because I'll say for me, the big experience that I think of when I talk about this happened in high school when I didn't have all the training and the knowledge that I now have. I didn't really know what happened. You know, I couldn't even process for myself what had happened. So I didn't know if I should tell anybody. I didn't know if I should say anything. And even so, I wasn't ready to. Because I had this, I've always thought of myself as a very strong, independent person. And I've always had this mindset of like, nothing bad can happen to me. Because I'm too tough for that, you know? I've always had the bad bitch mentality of like, nobody can fuck with me. And so to admit that something happened that I didn't want to, that I was scared of, that I didn't fully understand, to even admit that to myself... I couldn't do that until I was in college talking to a counselor, explaining the situation of, well, sometimes if I see this phase of the moon, like it freaks me out. 
and you know sometimes if I see somebody who looks similar to this person you know like my hands get tingly and like I feel very shaky and I don't know why because like fuck you know fuck them like they don't matter to me right right and for her to be like I'm gonna have to tell you something that you're not gonna like and having to come to terms with that and being like but no like that's not how it happens in the movies that's not that's not what that's supposed to look like you know it was that's something else I've heard well was it trauma because it doesn't sound that traumatic I'm sorry, but sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexual trauma is not always some creep in a dark alley. It's it's, it's not most statistically most likely someone that you knew and trusted. Yes, it's and also from the job that I had and hearing stories, whether it be people sharing them to me behind closed doors in a safe setting of I just need to talk to somebody or whether it be at our events like Take Back the Night of sharing their stories, whether it be an anonymous submission or, you know, somebody having the comfortability and feeling safe enough to share their story. Mm-hmm. It was it was a lot of times you would hear I was at a party with friends or I was at a sleepover or, you know, I was on vacation. Like it's not a boogeyman hiding around a corner waiting to grab you. And I think that's something else that ties into the fear of sharing and the shame of, well, why didn't you fight? If you weren't alone, why didn't you scream? And just like we started the episode, there's fight, flight, and freeze. Mm -hmm. And sometimes your body kicks into survival mode and says, the way for me to survive this is to freeze, to fully shut down, disassociate, and just wait. Wait till you can safely escape. Mm -hmm. And studies have shown that that's typically what happens in a situation of something as simple as, like I've mentioned before, the creep at Starbucks telling me the comment about my my chest, Mm -hmm. even with my apron on. I froze. One, because I was at work and like I couldn't exactly like throw a drink at him and say, hey, fuck you, buddy. And two, I was just so shocked that somebody was so bold to like say that to me. Of course, after the fact, that's when you have that moment of, I should have done something different. Yeah. I should have walked out into the parking lot and sit in front of his car and, you know, been like, hey, say it to my face. Like, but when you're scared, your body takes over Mm because your body, I've gotten very into like, you know, spirituality and like loving myself more. Mm -hmm. Your body loves you so much. It'll do anything it can to keep you going. And if that means shutting down and waiting for the trauma to pass, that's what it's going to do. All right, we're back. Sorry, we needed to take a minute to take care of ourselves, you know? Take a breather, get a little sippy sip. We're back. So, you know, as we're navigating this conversation, we, we have talked a lot about, you know, it is really important to take care of yourself during a traumatic experience. Mm. And that's kind of, again, where this conversation started is, you know, you're going through a traumatic experience, how do you What is your responsibility? Yes. So I do want to address kind of the other end of that is... Let's, let me throw out the hypothetical here as if everyone continues to go through their trauma and no one, like everyone is prioritizing or everyone is solely focusing on just making sure that they're getting through it. Where does society then stand to change and evolve so that these type of negative situations aren't happening anymore? Because if I want to throw my kudos to the families out there that are speaking up against police brutality because they lost a family member or had to go through a traumatic experience. I want to give a huge shout out to all of them for being the voice in their community to hopefully make a change 
or and I know in some cases small changes have, are being made to fight this very large systemic problem. Without those voices, without the ones that you know had to tighten up real fast to get behind the mic and speak up and speak out, those types of changes wouldn't be happening. And I think that's kind of the point that you know the example that we pulled earlier from that guest speaker is saying. Without those people taking that responsibility within themselves to make a change, realizing holy shit, that's fucked up. Someone needs to do or say something to fix the system. Without those voices, nothing does get changed. And I think the timeline for that, thank you, CEO. Yeah, take a sip or a shot if you heard Celeste cooing in the background. Sorry, I'm, She I'm, has I'm, something I'm, she needs to say. Yeah, I'm getting feedback notes from our little CEO over here. She's like, I want to say something. Me it's like, time. It's like, uh, y'all are getting a little too dicey. I don't know if the sponsors are going to approve of this message. Um, I think she was more saying like, this has been really heavy. You need something to lighten the situation up. Uh, My time to shine. Thank you, Celeste. We appreciate you. Is, you know, kind of putting at least a, a, a bow on the things that I wanted to, you know, bring up in this conversation mm-hmm. is I do think there does hold like everyone that does experience hold at least a small chunk of responsibility to at the very least do everything in their own personal power for that not to happen again Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that's easy because you're going to be going up against you know personal issues and stomach issues at the same time but maybe not being the voice but at least being actively anti-blank to prevent it from happening again and that is putting yourself in a very sticky situation maybe not sticky a very difficult situation because while you are trying to heal you're also putting yourself in a position of facing backlash Mm -hmm. of people who don't agree with you people who are going to say well it was this person's fault or well they should have done this differently or how can you blame them they were just doing their job like that on top of trying to deal with the stress and the strife of going through something like that, I can understand why it would be easier and more comfortable to just focus on you and your family. But I do also want to say, like, I've, you know, I spoke about my experiences this episode, and I I did mention a lot of how I was at the forefront of a a lot of different events, Mm -hmm. um, speaking up and speaking out against something I've experienced. You were a very influential advocate. Thank you. And I just want to say that, like, I did that in my own time. Uh You know, it's not like the day after I was like, you know, rallying and, uh, you know, it took years, years after the fact to be a part of the events, Uh even more years after that to even acknowledge that I myself was a survivor. Uh And even years after that for me to publicly talk about it right here, right now, because for the most part, there is a very small handful of people in my life that I've ever directly mentioned it before. People can kind of guess and like gather that that's, you know, a situation based off of the things that I say, the events I've been a part of, you know, this, that, the other thing. Mm -hmm. But all of this was in my own time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is where there is a difference between something like the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, situations that fall under those two umbrellas of when something like police brutality happens, it is so public right from the jump. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear about it the moment it happens, whether you want to or not. Yeah, I, I'm actually really glad that you brought that, that up. Versus of- something like sexual assault, the perpetrator and the person who survived are the only two that really know. Uh-huh. Or anybody else who was involved in the actual event. Uh-huh. And it gives much more wiggle room to come forward in their own time. Yeah. Whereas something like police brutality, where it's so publicized, 
the family's only two choices are, are we going to stay quiet or are we going to say something? They don't even get to choose whether or not people hear about it. No, I think that's a really awesome distinction. I think that's in part of what's led my personal opinion of like where that line of responsibility falls for everyone. It's, you know, I am thinking it through the lens of race in a lot of this context. There is a forced timeline. Yes. Of like, because, oh shit, if you don't say something now, the media is going to move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Which is fucked up, but like... That's the, that is just the, the world that we're living in. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember when I was, you know, younger, my dad would always say like, all right, like when he was ready to turn on the news for night, like, let's see who's killing who in the world. Ow. But it's true. It's, not yeah. even necessarily in the context of racism, but just like, that's the world we live in of the only news that really people care about is the dark, the scary, and the violent. Increase the views. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's why you have news channels doing like a lighthearted moment. You know, like they don't do like, this is happy news. Now we have some bad news we have to share. Mm. It's like, here's the news. Plus this cat got adopted. Speaking of cats, my cat sneezed and then jumped. So do another sip or a shot. Thank you. She's being very vocal this episode. She was like, it's, this is getting too depressing. Let's just be cute for a minute. So I just, I feel like we've... This is a heavy episode. It was necessary. It was very necessary. I feel like, especially, we couldn't have really timed this better, seeing as it is currently Black History Month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Next month, we have International Women's Day. And the month after that, it's Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Yeah. So, I mean, wow. Are you okay? What's your emotional check-in? Let's bring back that phrase. I'm feeling hot. Both temperate and, like, ready to start some shit. Yeah. This was definitely a heavy topic, but I'm glad we had it. Yes. I'm sorry for the experiences that you've gone through. I'm sorry for your experiences. And your emotional responses are valid. So are yours. And that message wasn't just for Tiffany Reese. That was for anyone at home. Yeah. I'm. Thank you for trusting me enough to be vulnerable with me in that way. Yeah. And I hope that everybody out there listening that... Made it this far in. <laughs> yeah. First of all, thank you. I know this one was a little different from like silly, goofy, you know, teehee, follow us on Instagram um even though we still found a way to throw that in there there. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you know your responses to the things that you've endured are valid Mm -hmm. and justified and we're proud of you we're proud of you we love you and thank you for listening we will catch you next time i guess with probably probably a lighter topic yeah something a little more you know cheeky yeah but until then i'm tiffany reese i'm donovan and we'll catch you hotties in the next one peace out And now the credits. This episode's been brought to you by your hosts, Donovan and Tiffany Reese. We want to thank our editing team for putting this shit show together. We want to thank our cat executive officers that are somewhere around the room. I think they're being very quiet right now, so thank you. And we'd like to thank our uh, music staff for getting the audio together for this episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.